Hi, Craig. Hi there. How are you? I'm very good. Yourself? Are you pretty good too? Are you back in Austin? Yes, I am. I'm back in Austin. I was a, a long trip in uh, in Italy for a while, then Roland Garros for a while, and now now back home. Lovely, lovely. Good to have you here, Craig. And uh, over the next few minutes, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, the, the tennis event that's happening in Roland Garros and what. Uh, we, as the digital innovation partner for the Roland Rose, have been able to bring to the table and talk a little bit about and, and uh, share the exciting things that we are doing on the Roland Rose website as well as in the mobile app so that the fans can uh, augment their viewing experience of watching the fantastic Absolutely. live action. Yeah. yeah, I'll go first. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Raghavan Subramanian, Raghu for short. I'm the Associate Vice President uh, and Head of Infosys Tennis Platform at Infosys. Uh, we at Infosys have been working with several uh, marquee uh, tennis names, the ATP, uh, the Australian Open, the Roland Garros, and, and recently we stuck a partnership with uh, the Tennis Hall of Fame also. And, and while there is fantastic live action, sports live action that's already happening with the, with the greats battling it out on the ground, we, uh, behind the uh, screens, are, are getting the stats and, and uh, making sense of it and presenting it as usefully as we can to all of the fans. It's been a wonderful journey for us, and hopefully the fans are digging into uh, all of these things. Uh, joining me today here is, is a dear friend for the last four years, uh, ever since I met him first at, at Australian Open and then been regularly bumping into him in all of the tournaments. Craig O'Shaughnessy. Hi, Craig. Welcome. Uh, it's a pleasure to join with you. And we've had some uh, fun times down under and also at Roland Garros. So great to connect again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Craig, uh, many of you may know who are following the Brain Game Tennis. Craig is widely recognized as the world leader in, in teaching and analyzing tennis strategy. Uh, yes, there is something. Uh, uh, there is a method to the madness. There are uh, strategies, there are patterns. He is a, he's an Australian tour coach and, and the director of the Brain Game Tennis Sports Science website. Uh, and and he is, uh, he's also uh, been on the coaching team of several players, including uh, Novak Djokovic. Uh, and, uh, and there was a time when he was, uh, uh, there was four or five people whom he had coached in the, in the top ten. Uh, and uh, he brings fantastic experience from that. He brings very unusual insights from tennis game, the ones that are many a times missed by the tennis pundits. So it's going to be fun to uh, to talk about tennis with you, with you, Craig. All right? You ready for the first question, Craig? Please, please, <laughs> let's do it. We've got a great tournament going on, and uh, let's let's talk tennis for sure. Absolutely. So we saw this fantastic match where, where pretty much the finals for most of us the one between Nadal and, and Djokovic, which was the quarterfinals uh, on, the, on the center court, played late in the evening. Uh, how do you think this surface is playing? There was a year when it was in the winter and, and it played slightly differently. This time, there are a lot more matches that are happening in the night. What is your thought on that, uh, Craig? How, how is the surface playing? Yeah, it's a good question. I went out onto um, court Philip Chatrier the other day and you know took some photos and watched practice um, I watched an Alcaraz versus Djokovic practice early on. And, you know, tennis courts all over the world will behave differently with the different 
conditions. So if it's a sunny day, if it's a hot day, um, the ball tends to go through the air quicker. The ball tends to jump and be uh, livelier out of the court. Um, and then you get the evening sessions at Roland Garros. And, you know, once it gets to 9 or 10 o'clock, it's cold there. Um, you know, you sit up in the stands and a lot of people have got blankets on and um, then it gets, you know, to midnight and past midnight. It, it can be very cold. And that does change how the ball flows through the air and, and reacts off the court. So um, I'd like to see some official data from, you know, whether it's Infosys or Hawkeye or whoever is doing that on, on day versus night, because I think that would be a very compelling uh, storyline. But what we see ultimately is that if it's a hot day, uh, high bouncing court, Rafael Nadal uh, does extremely well and, you know, after midnight on a cold evening, he's still um, producing his best tennis. So he's able to adapt and he's able to um, conquer opponents in all of those different conditions and different temperatures that um, Roland Garros produces. Lovely, lovely. So we did hear some, some talk about uh, the late evening matches being a disadvantage, night matches being a disadvantage for Nadal. So we're giving him tremendous confidence to be able to beat Djokovic. Uh, on, a, on a late evening match, right? So, it's... Yeah, exactly. But, you know, they they played a couple of years ago on a colder night and, and Rafa won in straight sets. So, um, you know, Rafa's good everywhere. Yeah. You know, you take him to the South Pole and put him <laughs> on a sheet of sheet of ice and the, guy, the guy's going to be holding a trophy above his head. So, um, you know, he, he is... He has proven that whether it's a hard court, a clay court, a grass court, an indoor court, he he can um, reign supreme anywhere. And there is another theory uh, closely related that not only is he a very good tennis player any surface, but had he chosen any sport, he would have been very good at that. He's a comp- fierce competitor, you know. Yeah, yeah, great. You see him um, picking balls up. You know, a lot of the European and South American players that have you know, a strong connection or affiliation with um, football yeah. and soccer. Yeah. They're so good at, at, you know, using their feet. And I, I saw some of the things Ralph is doing with a tennis ball. And it's like, wow, you know, it's, soccer could have um, could have been his sport as well. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And and uh, with the with the semifinal lineup now, do you have any uh, predictions? Who is the who is the overall favorite? Who's your second pick? Who's the outsider? And who? According to you, has no chance, Craig. <laughs> well, they've all got a chance. Let's, let's put that up there. I mean, whether it's the men or the women. I mean, maybe on the women's side, um, Iga Swiatek is is proving very unbeatable. But, you know, on the men's side, you've got the strongest semifinal on the top with Rafael Nadal and Alexander Zverev. Um, you know, I, I think it has helped Zverev tremendously, this tournament, to sit in the background and have all the limelight on Rafa, on Novak, and on Carlos Alcaraz. And um, and it also provides some fuel to say, you know, I'm not getting the spotlight um, as, I, as I think I maybe should. So, you know, there's, there's a factor that can motivate you. Um, but also, you know, with everybody looking another way, he's able to progress through the draw without the added pressure. Now, he does know that because we all know that if he does win this tournament, he will be ranked number one in the world. So the last time he went for that, I believe, was at the Australian Open. That pressure, he knew that, and, and that pressure got to him, and he put in a, a poor performance. 
Um, and, you know, th that's happened a few times. So, you know, I think for Alexander at the moment, you know, he, it's also good that he's, he's going to be an underdog against Rafa. Yeah. Um, if, he can, if he can maintain that underdog status and have that quiet determination, you know, with, with um, just a couple more matches to go, that he could win his first Grand Slam and become the number one player in the world. There's a lot to play for. He's just got to actually remove it from front and center in his mind and put it to the side and play tennis one one point at a time. And, um, you know, that that's that's the recipe to get there. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you know the recipe you helped uh, Djokovic, the 2019 Wimbledon winning team, you're a part of the winning team. So I'm sure there's, there's a lot to take in from there. Yeah, well, one thing that's fascinating with these players, and, and I guess a lot of the fans wouldn't know this, but one of the things when you're on a coaching team with, with players at the elite level, one of the things you never, ever, ever talk about is winning and losing. It's all about the process, and it's the steps to win or lose. We don't, we don't talk about, okay, let's go and win this match. You talk about, let's go and run the patterns of play that you've been successful with, um, and, and that will, you know, the, the, the end result will take care of itself. Winning and losing is a byproduct of playing good tennis in the moment. So, you know, coaching teams are never, you know, you're never talking about winning and losing. That, that's, that's obvious. It's about the steps that you need to take to get there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Very well said. And it applies to uh, life too, I guess, beyond sport. To follow the process absolutely and the results of the byproduct of the process that you said to follow absolutely now tell us a little bit about your uh, journey into becoming one of the top coaches in the world great when did this start how did it start uh listen i'm from a little country town in australia called albury mm -hmm. um it has a very strong tennis tradition margaret court grew up in that town um it's on the murray river which, you know, in, in rural Australia, you know, there's, there's not a lot of water everywhere, but on the Murray River, there's lots. So back, you know, um, 50 years ago or, or, or around that time, even earlier than that, they, when they put in tennis courts, they put in grass courts. So the club I'm from has 25 grass courts. The club, 10 minutes away, Wodonga Tennis Centre has 30 grass courts. And there's it, essentially around 200 grass courts within a 100-kilometer radius of my town. So it's a, um, it's a very strong tennis tradition. From there, I went to the U.S. and played collegiate tennis, graduated from Baylor University with a journalism degree, and then get involved with coaching. So, um, you know, my coaching has taken me all over the world, whether I'm running uh, junior academies or coaching at clubs, coaching ladies' teams at times. But in around 2014... I moved away from earning my main income on the court to becoming um, a specialist in tennis strategy. So um, that, that's, you know, I want to help players win matches. That's the number one thing a coach, is, you know, is on the agenda, on the menu. And I needed to know more about patterns of play. So that's why I started investigating. I started using Dartfish software. I started going to the Grand Slams and analyzing rally length. Um, and from there, you know, it, it's my relationship with the tour has grown. My relationship with Infosys has grown. You know, I think you've you've done an amazing job to take over the um, the analytics at the at Roland Garros and the Australian Open and with the ATP Tour. And as a fresh, 
voice and a fresh pair of eyes on our sport. I think Infosys is doing a fantastic job to bring new data to our sport. So um, it's been a very fun journey. Thanks. Thanks a lot, uh, Craig, for those kind words. Now, I'm curious to understand when you come on board uh, as a part of the coaching team of any player, how, uh, how do you uh, size up a player? How do you, size, uh, you know, uh, understand the player? How do you break down the player's strengths, weaknesses? And, and what is your uh, first order to attend to uh, when, you, when you sign up with any of these? You know, if you can talk us through that, that will be helpful. Yeah, the first thing that I do is I, I, I must have video of them playing competitive matches. So a player's vision or viewpoint of themselves can often be very different when you look at the analytics of their matches. So um, I want to see how they compete. I want to see their body language. I want to see their patterns of play when they're serving, returning, rallying and approaching. Um, I use Once again, I use Dartfish to um, tag those matches. Um, and then uh, what is produced is a, an 11-page match intelligence report that focuses on the analytics that I think is are very important that separate winning and losing in our sport. So the first step is to get probably four or five matches would be ideal, so we, we get a, a larger data set. Um, I then go to the match intelligence report and see where how the player is performing. You look at specifically... Um, their performance in, in uh, the 0 through 4 rally length. Yeah. Um, also looking, obviously, at 5 through 8 and 9 plus. But how they perform in short rallies is very important, primarily because um, there's just so many more short rallies in our sport. So that's, that's, um, that, that's, that's the main way I go about it. But studying the video and looking at the analytics always happens first. That's interesting, Craig. You bring that point up. We were looking at... Uh the rally analysis that we have on the Roland Gross website and for people who are attending, uh, please feel free to go into the match center of the Djokovic-Nadal uh, match and look at the rally analysis uh, innovation. What was interesting, uh, Craig, was Djokovic had served five aces and Nadal had served three aces. But was, what was hidden mm -hmm. there was Nadal had forced 17 errors of his serve from Djokovic. But if I remember right, Djokovic had only 11 such. So if you add these up, Nadal had far more points won on the basis of his serve than Djokovic has. And, and the rally analysis is a, is a wonderful innovation that makes it possible for players to see these kind of interesting uh, insights about a player. Otherwise, it's the glamorous aces that get a lot of attention and people look at aces and say, hey, this, this player served so many aces and then all of that. Uh, tell us a little, talk us a little bit about your your favorite uh, theory of uh, matches being decided. What, what what according to you decides a match? Is it the short rallies or the really long rallies that we see at Roland Garros? What are your insights on that, Craig? Yeah, you you made a good point um, just earlier with the return, with the aces and the return errors, and I have that up in front of me at the moment. Um, you know, from a return standpoint. Um, Novak hit one winner and extracted nine errors. So he's got 10 points in that return um, component, whereas Rafa on the other side, he also hit one return winner, but he was able to extract 21 uh, return, return errors. So it just looks at the bigger picture, um, you know, in, in a better way. Uh, the, the analytics that, that are definitely um, the most important 
uh, is the zero through four rally length. I went to Roland Garros in 2017 and looked at every single analytic that the tournament was producing and then looked at and said, okay, which, the, which player, the match winner or the match loser, performed better in all of these different analytics? Um, and the number one correlation between winning a match and also winning the analytic was the zero through four rally length. And that was for both men and women. And in some ways, yes, it's a, it's a tennis metric, but in another way, it has nothing to do with tennis. It's simply a pie chart where typically around 70% um, of points um, are in the zero to four rally length, 20% in five to eight and 10% in nine plus. It's a little lower at Roland Garros, but, um, but not much. It's, you know, typically at the Australian Open, it's around 70%. At the US Open, it's around 68%. And it, at Roland Garros, it's around 67%. So, um, you know, when you look at first serves and, and, and second serves and long rallies, the shorter rallies, even though it's on clay, um, are, are definitely the most important to, to coming out the winner in the match. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it brings your attention to the next stat also in the rally analysis, which is players who are trying to finish the point early by the third shot and in the process committing unforced errors also. There again, we see Djokovic hit 15 winners, but also committed 11 errors on the, on the third shot. Do you, uh, when you talk to players, do you tell them to play one extra shot to, to finish a point? Is that, a, is that an important stat, uh, Craig, or your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, in the third shot, that's what we call serve plus one. Um, and this came to prominence um, when I was studying Rafa, particularly on clay, and, and looking and seeing that um, he was averaging around 80% of the time. He was hitting a forehand as the first shot after the serve, and he was winning around 64% of those. So they were typically a baseline point, and you know, if you're winning 50 to 55%, the baseline points you're doing great. So 64% is outrageous. It's just a, it's just an incredible number. So uh, my my focus then went to look at Novak and, and to Roger, and also when I was working with Novak, showing him this data and saying, you know, when when the return comes down the middle and you have the opportunity to hit a forehand over a backhand, it's statistically a much better shot for you. It's um, you're going to hurt the opponent more. You can, you can hit a forehand harder. On, on average, forehands are about eight miles an hour faster than backhands. And, you know, the third shot of the rally is, is where the, it's the number one rally length, a rally length of three, um, where you get the most approaching happen. So you, you get a serve, a, a short return of that, and then the player immediately comes to the net. So particularly after a first serve, when you get that shorter ball, you want to be um, finishing the point in three shots after a first serve, and you want to be climbing all over the net, and you want to be hitting forehands. So that statistic is rising to prominence because it's so such an important stat between winning and losing. Fabulous, fabulous. And this year we have added uh, another new innovation to our match center, which is patterns of play, which analyzes whether a player is using serve plus one and how well they're using serve plus one to, to win the points. And uh, I would draw the attention of the fans uh, to that aspect also. Yep, and uh, which takes us to the uh, to the to the uh, next question. Yes, you are familiar with the AI videos that uh, that we have uh, as a part of the players app. This is the app that is available only for the players and the coaches, not for the general fans. But now uh, we have 
uh, a section inside that which is the AI videos powered by Infosys's analysis of of a match and and all of that. So now essentially every player who plays in uh, in Roland Garros and their coach have access to uh, video matches match videos sliced and diced by stats by rally length by strokes by by any random query english query that you can type and and you can get the points pertaining to that and we have this for the last 4 years now we've seen that the elite players have their own coaching team uh, uh, and and quite a few uh, four to five members in that team and and they have specialists who are doing data analysis video analysis sometimes we've heard that they have specialists who string the racket to uh, travel with them sometimes so that's the kind of a team that the elite players have but a journeyman tennis player who's ranked anywhere beyond 20th uh, 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 you know may and and closer to the hundreds may find it extremely difficult to even afford that kind of a support staff now doing this kind of video analysis does it at least when it comes to video analysis not not everything is you don't have a mental coach you don't have a physiotherapist traveling with you you don't have a training partner but at least on the video analysis does this does this provide a, a level playing field for all the players craig what are your thoughts on that yeah it definitely does you know one of the things historically is that if you play on on a center court you're going to get rich data you're going to get full match metrics and you're going to get video and quite often on the outer courts um you know the amount of the ma- matches that are videoed is less the amount of stats that the, ma- the lines of stats is less um so you know i've always been a proponent that all players no matter what they're ranking no matter you know if they're if they're in the main draw they're all treated equally so this is just a, a, a very good way to follow up with that so that players and coaches whatever ranking they are as long as they're in the main draw they they all get access to the video analysis and um as you mentioned some players and teams um it's a big deal for them and and they 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 believe in in the um analytical side of our sport and um you know they employ people like myself and others to take care of that um if you don't have the money you're you're you know you're coming up the rankings and you haven't quite made it yet but you can go to a tournament and you get it it, it does um it, it's a huge help for players that are that are further down the rankings to to see their matches and to get the same analytics. So um I really applaud you guys for doing this and leveling the playing field and making sure that all players have access to their matches and access to video and access to to all these um playlists or these video playlists that you have. So uh a, a huge plus for players at all levels of our sport. Okay, if I may. That that's uh, good and we just now have about 5 minutes. so i would encourage uh, the people the, the audience who have been listening to us and and giving us the support if you have any questions please direct uh, you know uh, type them over in the chat window and niyaga would uh, uh, who's been moderating the session would pick any interesting question and and then save it for us uh, niyaga if you have any questions just uh, share it with us otherwise i'll continue with the the discussion do you have any questions at this stage all right bye and see if there are any that comes up in the chat window craig uh, that takes us to my next question probably the concluding question where do you think tennis is in its analytics journey and i want you to compare it with other leading sports in the world like say basketball or american football or soccer or golf or, or any of the other leading uh, sports 
where do you think uh, tennis is in its journey of uh, embracing analytics uh, great well the the first step you know over the last 5 to 7 years was essentially bringing analytics to tennis and proving that um it matters you know proving to players that this information about your opponent knowing where their favorite patterns of play are can really make a difference so you know we had to break that wall down because tennis was always you know a game of feel how you know how does the ball feel how does the court feel how does the weather feel how do i feel today um and now it's it's much more about understanding your game and what you do well it's also understanding the upcoming opponent and their best patterns of play and how what is the the best way to play them um so i think where we're headed is just continuing to grow the data points and, and uncover new data points such as serve plus 1 and return plus 1 such as rally length that that um really help us understand why players win and lose i think you know there's inevitably along the way we'll be collecting some stats that um you know we don't know how important they are until we look at them in a bigger data set and look at them over time and against different opponents and some of them may prove extremely valuable to tell the story of winning and losing and others maybe less so but i think we're in a, a period right now where um you know data has been accepted in our sport um players um uh, improving their careers because they know more about themselves and more about their opponents and more about what just in general what tennis is like you know how important the serve and the return are um we don't need to be out there pounding forehands and backhands into oblivion on the practice court in order to get better with you know it's 90% of the match um you know is it, not just out there you know involved in long rallies which you know was kind of the the, the older version of our practice court the new version is is shorter rallies uh first strike tennis uh patterns of play and um and you know and also getting to the net you know one of the things that has been talked about for a while you know the last couple of decades was you know it, with the new technology and rackets and strings and the athletes being faster and stronger that it was becoming tougher to get to the net and and the win percentages are going down you know it was just wasn't true getting to the net is a wonderful thing um and serve and volley is still great um and you know the the analytics prove that so i think what is the analytics moving on um what we're going to be finding some really strong points for the fans to understand you know why is rafa so good and and why is novak so good um how is zverev having such a good tournament and we can use analytics to describe um why a player is doing well why is marin silic all of a sudden you know back in the semifinals what what is he improving so analytics help tell a better story analytics are going to help fans understand their players better um and analytics are going to help drive our our sport to another level so it's um you know we we've got a long road to go we've come a long way in the last half dozen years but we've got a long way to go as well lovely lovely good to hear that uh, i had one question uh, what are the type of insights we uh, provide when a relatively newcomer comes up against the player the uh, uh, in the so for us the the videos that we analyze let me answer that the videos that we analyze are all the matches that they have played at the roland garros only not uh, in any other uh, court so uh, if, if they have uh, this is their first appearance then we don't have any past uh, uh, match videos about them for them to to, to analyze yeah that was one question and one last concluding question 
Craig there. Do you see tennis, the, the three the three superstars, super elites, unbelievable. I mean, we thought Federer was a freak of nature. And then you, you had one person come and, and said, hey, you know, came in and gave tough competition and now is the is the is the goat. And then you saw a third person come on the close on the heels of the second person and challenge the status quo. It's getting unbelievable. Do you see tennis quality topping this? Or is this a is this a freakish occurrence that we are seeing? Uh, or or do you think that there will be another player who will come in and, and top the, 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 the deeds and the records that these three guys have superstars have set on the tennis Cold, yeah, you know, Federer and Nadal Djokovic have all elevated each other. You know, there's a there's a major part of their success is that they keep raising the bar. Roger raised the bar first, then Rafa raised the bar, then Novak raised the bar. And, you know, we see them now with 20 and 21 Grand Slams. We see them all holding different kinds of records. Um, you know, three great ambassadors for our sport. And, and then we look at you know, the, the younger players such as the Carlos Alcaraz coming up, that is a very special player and, and there'll be more. I mean, our sport will continue to improve and continue to get better, but we are in, you know, a, a very special time to have these three players that, that are clearly, they, they, you know, Federer, Nadal and Djokovic are clearly head and shoulders above all the other players that, that have been around for the last 15 years that they, you know, they've set themselves apart. Um, whether that will happen again, you know, time will tell, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but what they have done is they've raised the bar for each other and they've raised the bar for our sport. And I believe our sport will continue to improve and continue to get better. And um, in the near future, Alcaraz is going to be a big part of that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. Craig, uh, taking the time once again. It was such a pleasure. Uh, thank you, audience, for, for chiming in and, and uh, listening to this conversation. Hope you took away something from this. Once again, on behalf of Infosys, I would like to thank everybody who attended it and, and praise you for sparing the time and sharing your thoughts. Thanks a lot. My, my pleasure. Great to catch up. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.